You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and uh, here on Irish Radio Canada, well, it is coming out of Canada, I do like to highlight the wonderful influence that the Irish have, and often in an understated fashion, on things global. But the things that may be global that uh, we are very conscious of and aware of in Canada and have an influence on our lives in Canada, and since early in 2020, and early being particularly February, March time frame, a great interest globally and in North America and Canada emerged on the statistics relative to COVID-19. And a website was set up, ncov2019.live, that provides real-time reporting or reporting from sources that are as near to real-time as can be. And one of the people that's been involved in that is a guy by the name of Daniel Conlon. And if the name doesn't tell you that there's an Irish connection, you don't know your Irish names. Daniel Conlon, thanks a million for taking the time to come along for a chat. No, no, thank you very much for uh, having me. Um, working on NCAR 2019 uh, was an in- a very interesting experience. I, uh, I had met Abby Schiffman, the guy who founded the website, uh, around the start of the year on um, a platform called Discord. Uh, Discord is normally just for, you know, video game communications, but it's uh, since become more than that. And he was, uh, he was posting for some help um, for, for this project that he was working on, which at the time hadn't really materialized into anything. Um, and, and then uh, I had seen it. I had seen the code. I gave him some pointers. And then, well, little did we know that it would grow to become what it is today. Uh, he had built the initial version of it, and then he had uh, a few people help him along the way. But um, the help that they provided, it just wasn't, it really wasn't good, and it ended up putting the platform into a worse place than it, than, than it was. And then I kind of, me being a more senior and experienced software engineer, I, I kind of stepped in to take the heavy load and, well, rebuild it from the ground up. <laughs> and, then, um, and, then, and then it went out to the public and, and has since reached almost a billion people, 800 million, 700, um, 870 million people um, it's reached. And that's, uh, it's a very interesting thing to look back on because uh, obviously that's, it's in the past now. There's, there's other alternatives. Um, but, but knowing that we were there at the initial stage and, and provided what we did to hundreds of millions of people is uh, something I'll definitely well, never forget. Daniel, you mentioned there that you really went and rebuilt the code, and I have a little insight into what that is, is involved in that. Um, I have an involvement in a, an application development company. And um, the, given the time frame and how quickly things were moving at the beginning of the year, to take a look at code, see the flaws, and uh, set about rebuilding a platform is quite a time-consuming and large task. What kind of time frame are we looking at there? Well, uh, the, the way that this worked from a technical perspective was he had built the initial version of the platform in various languages that he kind of just hacked together and just, you know, put it together and, and it just, it kind of worked. Um, but but it, it wasn't great. It was just falling apart. So so the decision was made very early on that we would quite literally delete the entire platform and then use the platform that we had live as reference while I was rebuilding it and I, I, pulled, I pulled off the entire rebuild in about, I'd say, 
three, three and a half weeks, um, we got through 15 to 20,000 20, lines of code and, and then just got the thing back to where it was in a more stable fashion. And then for the next three to four months, continuously uh, refurbished existing code um, and re-implemented better systems to make sure the thing never went offline again. You mentioned, Daniel, that you, you came across um, Abby on, uh, in the gaming platform. From your own background in the software industry, what would that be? Where did you get your education? Because the Irish have a great love at this stage for uh, software, for building. Uh, we're known for what we can achieve in the software sector. Um, my education is, uh, is, is self-thought. Um, I, uh, I had a really, really broken computer when I was nine that was, uh, that was given to me. And uh, this computer literally was so bad that it, it didn't even have an interface. The guy who gave it to me, he didn't know much about computers, but he had broken it in such a way um, to where to his, to his batch files, which are basically just simple instructions that you have on Windows that you know, tell it to, to, go th to do things and go to different directories. And that was how you navigated this computer. You'd click on the batch file, and then it would change the directory that you're in, and that's how you'd navigate. I, uh, I, I thought that this was the way that you were supposed to use computers, so I, I would copy a batch file, and I would go in and start changing things and then to be different results. And that's kind of how, how things just... just um, exponentially changed my life from that point on without me ever really knowing. And then I, I was playing a lot of video games, you know, when I was very young. And then I found a video game called Gary's Mod. And then I start building things for Gary's Mod. And that's where my, my programming experience came from, was just building things in video games for people. And I just, I never stopped since a very early age. And that kind of just had a, an exponential effect on my, my life. <laughs> I can relate because it's the first time I've actually heard of a backfire in a long time. Uh, <laughs> I, remember them, I, I remember them because way back in the uh, early 90s, uh, in order to teach myself uh, some stuff, I set up a bulletin board and uh, I was uh, integrating internet email into it at that stage. Uh, yeah. So while I never got into the programming, I did get into the modification of some of what would have been the configuration files in order to see the results. <laughs> um, so the more trying to work with somebody else's code that has been done was always the fun I had, not trying to write code. I couldn't write code. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so to find something like this, a, a project that had a global impact and global meaning must have been very, very fulfilling. Uh, it was very interesting how it all came to be because I, I made my own COVID tracker separate from Avi's, which is COV19.cc, and this was used by the NHS and, and other um, private institutions internally because I, I decided to work with them separately to this, and it just so happened to be that he was building one for the public. And uh, I had shown him mine, and then we, we kind of put them both together and made this crazy big um, public impact. I think the, the main thing that I, I, I got from this, or at least the thing that I'm most happy about, is, is not the, the large numbers, but the amount of donations that we had got, as well as the World Health Organization using this thing very early on, 
and knowing that I was able to be involved in the influence of literally the things that really mattered, the real, the actual World Health Organization's decisions um, were being aided by the work that I had done. And, and I think that's, that's the real takeaway. By, by giving something to people who are able to make global change, um, and uh, and and yeah, and and that was that was definitely something I had a moment of reflection on, uh, not not too long after seeing these large numbers. So when you went out and started building the code, you're pulling your source, you're getting your source data from all the different organisations around the world. Uh, right. Did you need to get? direct access to any of their code in order to be able to integrate it, or was that, that relatively easily accessible in the um, public domain? This is where things get a... I, I don't... Hmm, th- things get a bit uh, grey here, I suppose. Uh, to the concept called web scraping, which is when you build a tool that goes to a website and pretends it's a real user, and then it pulls all of that data from the website and then you go into that data, and then you, you pick out the key pieces of information. I had built about 150 scrapers <laughs> for, for various sources based around the Internet, and these scrapers would go to these websites. I'd tell the scraper what, int- what information I'm interested in. It would pull that information, and then it would store it in a big list. And then I'd have a system at the very end compile all of this and then push all of this to the website in pretty much real time for 15 minutes was the limit I could get it to. But, um, but that's how it works. Now, it, it's definitely, it's questionable, I think, from, the, from an ethics perspective, because I'm building this thing that's pretending to be a user and then pulling the data and then putting it onto a list. But I, I think for the, for the time being, or at the time, excuse me, um, nobody would have a problem with it if they understood what it was for. Because... We were in a situation where we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of websites who were um, pushing different uh, information to it from hospitals, from states, from countries, and there was no central database at the very beginning. And, and building that database was, was, was critical, I, I believe. So, that, yeah. But, but Daniel, again, everything that you scraped was out there in the public domain. Uh, yes, yes. There was, there was no breaching of anything. It was yeah. accessible to the public. It was just very hidden away on various pages. Yeah, yeah. So it was, again, what you effectively did then was uh, developed a research tool yes. that was capable of uh, sourcing and filtering effectively. Yes. Right. I, I, I think that's a, a good way of looking at it. I mean, at the time, you don't, you don't build these things knowing what... It's it's going to become like I, I didn't. I remember sitting here uh, in a Discord voice call with him, laughing while like playing Call of Duty and building this thing, and then unbeknownst to us, it would become this global phenomenon. So that was um, that was interesting. Now you, <laughs> did, you you did mention there that um, you were very pleasantly surprised at the support that you received. Uh, so tell us yeah. a little about that. Yeah, uh, we had received hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations um, from people all around the world, all of which, by the way, we, we re-donated to the World Health Organization, uh, the American Red Cross, and a First Responders Fighters Fund, um, respectively. Uh, and, and seeing that support and then doing all the TV interviews on you know, CNN, ABC, and, and 
literally all over the world. It it was um yeah, I was taken back by it. <laughs> to tell you the truth, it was it was it was a lot. But I'm glad. I, I think that we we done the right things with the donations that we had got. I I, I think reallocating absolutely every cent was the way forward and the right thing to do. So when you mentioned that you had a real love of gaming um, and that this was a, a different path, uh, as looking back now and seeing that, as you look forward, where do you see yourself going? Well, it's, uh, I, I've always found the where will you be in five years question uh, to, to be quite dif- uh, difficult to answer. Um, I think in terms of the platform, though, uh, if there is any major changes that need to be made to it, we, we will make them. Um, but, but my work is, is mainly in uh, the, the security sector. Uh, I, I mainly work in investing and, and government cybersecurity. Um, so, so I would just continue uh, doing that on, on, until I, I see the, the need to build another big public tool uh, but myself and Avi will continuously work on newer things. We're in the middle, we're in the middle of starting a company um, that we're um, co-financing with some other people. Uh, so th- there was the connection that I got with Avi to come out of this, which, which is going to be very, very good going into the future. It'll be nice to work with him again. Indeed. And um, you may, while you're dealing with cybersecurity, that is a particularly vibrant, and I use the term in the things that more from a work perspective, but it's, it's vibrant and challenging in this period in which we live. Uh, cybersecurity is what uh, was the lock on the uh, house door of a 100 years ago is the lock Absolutely. on the virtual door today. So yes. I'm sure you have yeah. no scarcity of demand for your work. Uh, no, uh, I, I don't, but un- unfortunately, due to the, the nature of the work that I, I do work with and the sensitivity of it, I, I'm not necessarily employable by uh, security companies while I'm still working for the government here. <laughs> so, <Right>. uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, uh, cybersecurity is, is kind of my passion. I, I enjoy making sure that, that people can't harm national interests and just being that line of defense. It's, uh, I take great pride in it. Definitely makes me proud to be Irish in that sense, knowing that I can protect our uh, national interests from the from a cyber perspective. And Daniel, are you getting time to play video games then? Um, sometimes, not not <laughs> not, not a lot. No, not, not a lot during the uh, the pandemic season. I, uh, I I maybe a couple of hours a week. <laughs> and <clears throat> during the pandemic, while a lot of collaboration would normally happen in the software world could be done virtually. Has there been much of an impact or change on your lifestyle since last March as a result of the pandemic? Um, Kind of. I I mean, I I do find myself normally going from the various offices to make sure that people are in line and and everything is uh, on track. But now it's just a case of me just coming uh, online and, and doing that. Um, I, I think programmers in general are really, really, really good at just adapting to a screen, like regardless of where it actually is. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I found that to be the case in this scenario where I have my staff uh, placed, I wouldn't say um, strategically, but, but as close to base of operations as we could. And then I can just check in, check in with them in, in almost real time over Zoom or whatever they're, they're using. Right. So, so 
I, I don't think the, the pandemic has had a, a drastic impact on the software space. Has it created a greater interest on the other side of your life, which is in video games, among those who are now more housebound, do you think? Has there been a sur- surge in that aspect of online activity, do you think? Uh, yes. So, so I am involved in video game development as well. So I, I have access to various numbers from a, a platform called Steam. And uh, there's, there's been a, a hike of maybe 60, 65 percent uh, throughout the summer, whereas whereas it would normally grow to ma- it would grow like maybe 10 to 15 percent, right. but over the this summer it had gone to 60, 67 percent, uh, which was crazy. So that's a couple of that's maybe 20 million new people. And from a social impact, do you think that has any negative long-term impact? I think the um, well, one of the things that I'm able to take for granted as well as a lot of people in my position is that we're not impacted by sitting in front of a screen. I, I, I think there's a psychological effect that has been seen by millions of people around the world who have never needed to be locked inside. It's a completely different psychological experience for them as opposed to somebody like me who can just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think... Although I don't believe there's going to be lasting psychological effects, I, I do think people will remember this and it, and, and it will weigh on them for a very long time. And, and of course, some, some demographics could almost be traumatized by, by this, whole, this whole event of being stuck inside. So although I don't believe there's going to be a long-lasting global effect on just being staying, uh, locked inside for, for a couple of months, I, I do think that the short-term mental impact will be will be noticed and will be seen, and those people will need adequate support to get through this. And hopefully, local governments and states don't um, don't ignore the mental requirements <coughs> of people who have been impacted by this. Indeed. Daniel, it's been a pleasure having a chat, and I do appreciate you. you taking the time, and it's been fascinating, and congratulations <laughs> on a most wonderful project and your contribution to, in many cases, I would say, helping people get perspective on the reality, both in a positive and in a negative sense. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, um, when, when you had uh, sent the request, I, uh, I jumped on it immediately because I, I actually was considering moving to Canada uh, in the in the coming year years, excuse me, and uh, and any little insight that I can get in, into that transition would would be amazing. So uh, it was absolutely amazing to get to talk to you, and uh, hopefully we get to talk again.